Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, welcome to Rescue Radio. Indeed, the war goes on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you that you are the Lord God and that you are the one who is in control of all things. And we pray that your will be done, O God, on earth in and through us, all of us this day, even as it's being done and declared in heaven. Father God, we know that you are in control, that you are in charge. We thank you for the meditations of this particular week as we ponder your great sacrifice, your great gift the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for for taking the initiative, for taking a hold of the very thing that needed to be dealt with so that we could be free. And I thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall by any means hurt us, that you've commissioned us, Lord God. You've brought us forth for such a time as this to do your will, to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, and Lord God, we thank you for this this show. We thank you for giving us divine protection, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, even as your word promises, and that you cover our words and conversations, and even the interpretations of those words and the perceptions, that there will not be presumptuous assumptions made. Lord God, that people will be encouraged, enlightened, edified, and, and surrounded with your love and revelation. Jesus, it is your revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that brings freedom and truth because you said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so thank you for that truth. Thank you for the power of your words. And today, as we um, consider your dying words, let us also be encouraged and um, freed. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Well, welcome to our show, The um, Prayers of a Dying Man and the Assignment of a King. Good morning, Honey, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing very well, doing very well. Boy, I tell you what, when uh, when people come to the point of death, uh, it's amazing what mm-hmm. they say and what they feel. Yeah, the Bible says what the heart is full of the mouth speaks, so it's probably very telling at that moment, that, that moment we don't get to practice for, you know. We don't practice for that moment of death, do we? We just find ourselves in it, so to there, speak. There, expectedly or unexpectedly. Yeah. Some it, people prepare their whole life for that moment of death and entering into the glory and presence of God, and some people shun it, deny it, and uh, just, you know, they comfort themselves with thoughts like, well, when you're dead, you're just in the grave, and that's the end of it. Yeah, well, I have I have a neighbor that I was sharing with just a few days ago, and he was just basically, that's mm-hmm. his view. He's an elderly gentleman, but he just believes that, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing, and he's going to be mm-hmm. cream. His body's going to be cremated, and he says, that's it. Well, you know, it's unfortunate that people who look at their end with that kind of a thought must not think much of the life that they've been given to live, nor consider it of much value. And that's probably where a lot of people are. Actually, they don't consider their life of much value. But, you know, when we do a generational bloodline, we always ask people, well, how did your your people die because at the because I think death really tells a lot about how you lived. It te- how did you end? How did it end for you? Was it violent? Was it peaceful? Was it with the uh, you know maladies and and heart conditions or or was it in the presence of God? And this really is the last message that we send. And so I know you have some very interesting dying words, last words of famous people to start out the show with. So what would you like to tell us? Well, this is this is a whole variety. Of, of uh, views. These are last words of, of famous people. Uh, John Quincy Adams said, This is the last day of earth. I am content. He so was the president, right? There. He was a United States president. Sixth this pres- was February 21st, 1848. Mm-hmm. Joseph Addison, who was a writer, died June 17th, 1719, said, See in what peace a Christian can die. And then uh, Lady Nancy Astor, I believe, I believe she was related to John Jacob Astor, the famous uh, business person, uh, philanthropist. He says, am I dying or is this my birthday? 
<laughs> because she woke up temporarily and she saw all those people gathered around her bed. Oh, interesting. She thought maybe it was her birthday. Yeah. She, was dying. she wasn't paying attention and had another birthday, right? Yeah. And then P.T. Barnum, who was mm-hmm. the entrepreneur that, you know, the famous Barnum and Bailey Circus. Circuses? Oh. His dying words were, how were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> Goodness. And, um, you can tell what his focus had been on most of his life. And then John Barrymore, famous actor. This is, he died on uh, May 29, 1942. He said, die, I should not say... I should say not, dear fellow, no Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing to happen to him. Well, he must have seen himself as very unconventional and special. Huh? And then Thomas Beckett, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, he died in 1170, a long time ago. He says, I am ready to die for my Lord, that in my blood the church may obtain liberty and peace. Mm. And then the famous uh, actor of years ago, uh, Humphrey Bogart, he died January 14, 1957, he said this, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. See, so so silly, so silly. And then there was a guy named Dominique Bohors, Bohors. he was a French grammarian, okay, mm-hmm. died in 1702. He says, I am about to or I am going to die. Either expression is correct. <laughs> um, Winston Churchill, before slipping into a coma, um, January 20, he died tw- January 24th, 1965. He said, I am bored with it all. Hmm. Uh, President. Uh, he had a quite an active and interesting life, you'd think. Yeah, he wouldn't have been bored, yeah. actually. And then. Um, Maybe he was just saying, I'm tired. Lou Costello, you know, the famous yeah, Abbott, Abbott Costello, Costello from years ago, mm-hmm. died March. 3rd, 1959, said, that was the best ice cream soda I ever tasted. Ooh, interesting. And then um, <laughs> here, Joan Crawford, famous actress of years ago, died May 10th, 1977. Her last words to her housekeeper, her housekeeper had started to pray for her as she was dying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she said this, damn it, don't you dare get, ask God to help me. Mm. She must have had a belief that she wasn't worthy of it. And you know it's amazing how our childhoods, our adult lives can determine our perceptions yeah, of the end, yeah. for sure. Just a few more here. Uh, uh, Bing Crosby, who was <laughs> uh, died October 14, 1977, said, that was a great game of golf, fellas. Interesting. Um, Charles Darwin. The famous evolutionist. No, I heard he got converted. He denied his mm-hmm. theories of evolution before he died. Yeah, he, he did. Actually, he was. A, yeah. He became a believer in Jesus. He says, "I am not the least afraid to die." Isn't that amazing? And, that shows the great forgiveness of God. Oh my! And then Princess Di, uh, you know, from England, Princess of Wales, who died August thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. She said, "My God, what happened?" Uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, of England, Queen Elizabeth I, actually, Mm -hmm. of England, uh, who died in 1603, she said this as she was dying, all my possessions for a moment of time. Another famous actor, Douglas Fairbanks Sr., who died uh, December 12, 1939, said this, I've never felt better. You can really tell by the statements what they're seeing, what they're sensing, the uh the, the the condition that their spirit was in can't you yeah yeah really some really. of them are just and then actor errol flynn uh, who died october 14 1959 said i've had a hell of a lot of fun and i've enjoyed every minute of it um hmm. uh, and then uh, george washington mm-hmm. president george washington uh said i i die hard but i am not afraid to go and even N- Edgar Allan Poe, mm. who died October 7th, uh, 1849, uh, you know, he wrote all those famous, you spooky know, tell, the spooky stuff, Telltale yeah. Heart and all that stuff. Mm. He said at his death, Lord, help my poor soul. Well, he called upon You Lord. know, it's, so it's those these last, are some of yeah. the, uh, it's, it's those last minute confessions 
that do reveal the condition of the soul. And I think that's kind of a very awesome way to begin talking about the the prayers of a dying man and the man who died right next to Jesus. Um, There were two thieves on the cross that day, one on either side of Jesus. It's kind of interesting. He was placed in the middle of these two thieves and one accepted him and one uh, heckled him. Do you want to read that scripture, Jerry? Yeah, we'll get, let's Luke, uh, Luke chapter 23, and we'll, uh, let's see here. Let's start it with verse 32. Um, in 33, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Uh, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Now, and then you go to Luke 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him in Luke, in Matthew 27, 39, mm-hmm. uh, actually Matthew 27, 44. It says both of the criminals railed on him. Mm-hmm. And here it says one of the criminals uh, railed on him. He says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. I think that was the big question with Jesus hanging there that day in front of everybody. People were trying to determine whether he was uh, innocent, uh, and many did, or whether he was worthy of death, which also the hecklers overruled with their verbal uh, you know, abuse and, and railing at him. But that was the, the question. Who is he? is he? They still weren't quite sure who he was. And I think these two thieves really show that dilemma still very real and alive at the foot of the cross. Right. And and very likely that day, you know, I don't know what, you know, if they had heard something of Jesus or what, but they knew there was a great big uh, hubbub going on because of of, of Jesus there. It was a problem, you know, a larger crowd than usual at a crucifixion. I'm sure. Because crucifixions were were very common and poorly attended probably uh, and not very well attended except for the maybe the soldiers and so forth but uh, so maybe at first they even thought that hey here's Jesus he's probably just another well, criminal like us well it's interesting too with the crowds that this was right at the time of the passover so jerusalem was filled with pilgrims and people who had come to town to celebrate um to offer their sacrificed lamb and to participate in the last supper and actually there is a rule in that uh, Passover feast that you can technically eat the Passover the evening before, uh, like he did, because um, for those who couldn't attend the day of or have it the day of. So there was he had used that exception to complete the Passover, eating that Paschal lamb with his um, disciples and, and those in that upper room, and then became the Paschal Lamb the very next day, within hours, actually, of that time. But going back to your thief on the cross for a minute, in, in a lot of these things at the last minute here at the cross are e- actually very old prophecies that are being fulfilled during the crucifixion uh, events, and they were foretold in many of the um, the Psalms or the prophets. And in Psalm 22, which is a uh, it's a psalm of the cross in verse um, 6, 7, and 8. We see uh, the the, con- uh, the conversation going, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. All those who see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. This is a, this is a, um, you know, a, a sneering kind of... Uh, uh, I'm sure that the thieves were caught up somewhat in this um, in this railing and heckling of oh, Jesus. Oh, sure, because it was the crowds of people were hail, uh, railing on him. The the um, religious leaders, elders, priests were were, were mocking him. I mean, this was just these a were big, the authorities. They should know. The, they should the, know. Yeah, right. The ones that should be 
uh, setting the well, sample, giving the leadership. They were the religious, yeah, authorities of the day. And so you, people, here's a segue, people look to their religious authorities for permission and for direction. And so many times that is the basis of every false religion, is that you give you the, the freedom that God has given you to have a relationship with him personally. You give that over to someone you consider more spiritually apt uh, or studied than you to some expert, some professional, and then you let them tell you about the Word of God. They let you, they let you let them tell you um, how you should think or feel about this. And the, the people, of course, following their leaders at this point are being totally misled. Yes, yeah. So it was monkey see, monkey do, and the monkeys here, the big monkeys, were the the, the Pharisees and yeah. the. The the priests, the religious leaders. Well, and, and so, they didn't appear to be monkeys because they were well dressed with their fine borders and, and phylacteries and their their garments and their their and, and no one would dare to tr- to touch them or or resist them or correct them. That was their position. It was a nice position to be in because your opinion was that of a god, and you you got to say what you wanted to say. And they they hated this man Jesus, and that hatred is what really uh, spun the whole story to get Jesus put on the cross. And they were the, I, I would say, the instigators, or they were the, the flame that was that ignited this whole crucify him, crucify him. So, so the, the thieves just happened to be, the, that was their day to be scheduled to be crucified. It wasn't something that they planned. It was, but, the, but the word of God says he was, you know, set between, you know, criminals and right. numbered with the, the criminals. The transcript, yeah, here, yeah, this is... Um... Let's get this, the spirit of this a little bit more about what's going, setting the scene of the intensity of this. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-eight. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down. Now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him If now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Well, I think there's a lot of peer pressure right here. Oh, yeah. um, they're not these, you know, dying in public may be different than dying in your bedroom or in a hospice room or in a hospital or even on the street with an ambulance, whatever, you know, EMTs. Dying in public like this, you can imagine the pressure even that these thieves must have felt to um, join in or, you know, I mean, this was somewhat maybe of an easy distraction, too, because if they're in excruciating pain, um and this is a kind of a way to take your mind off of it, so to speak. I believe that this, the, the penitent thief, the one who finally, whether he heckled in the beginning and turned around in the, at the end, I don't know. Because there were also other thieves there. There could have been others heckling him from uh, on the side. But um, other thieves that is crucified that day. Right, but, right. But they were probably not the only, only ones. Right. Sometimes they did these kind of group group executions. Right. They surely did. And. Mm-hmm. So this penitent thief, you have to realize this man made a, a huge um, right, sharp turn. I mean, he, he had been a thief. Who knows why he had stolen in the beginning as a little boy? Maybe he, he grabbed a loaf of bread. Maybe he was hungry. Maybe he ran through the streets. Maybe they, he was a street urchin. Maybe they tried to catch him. I don't know if he had a, a parent, a home, a, a safe place. I don't. It's obviously, he... We don't know how old he was. He was probably not that old. Maybe, maybe I'm going to guess, maybe in his mid-20s, early 30s at the most. Jesus himself was 33, so, you know, I don't, I don't see them any older than that, but you don't know. But he, he had lived his whole life probably in, on the wrong side of the tracks, doing the wrong thing and taking care of himself. And so now it would be easy for him to just go along with his old lifestyle and, and, and you know, become a heckler, uh, rail on Jesus and not change his mind. And you know, I, I this is sad because I just had a story yesterday, actually, of a person who died, and uh, they knew they were dying. They had a lot of issues, health issues, and um, medical issues, whatnot. And they had a lot of time to prepare, a lot of time to think about their death. Um, they were of you know older in their 80s, past 80, and they were like still, you know, their children begging around their beds, believe in Jesus singing hymns, praying, ble- pleading with them 
to um, acknowledge Jesus. And at that point, um, the hardness of the heart, I'm not saying there's a judgment here because I don't really know, because we don't know. But at that point in time, his heart had been so hardened for many, many years of resisting the pleas of his children to get right with God. So this thief, too, had many, many years of, of the pleas, uh, you know, to harden his heart. But at some point, he looked at Jesus. Maybe Jesus looked into his eyes. Probably something like that happened. And he was able to realize this man is innocent. We've got, you know, we committed crimes. This is a just you know, end to our life, so to speak. Um, but Jesus has committed no crimes, although many, many, many allegations had been made against him that he was uh, usurping the authority of the Caesar, that he was going to tear down the temple, that he was uh, fighting with the priests, that he was declaring himself to be the son of God, that he was blasphemously for forgiving people their sins. And, and you have to realize that this was a total, you know, unexpected event in the history of mankind, though they had looked for a Messiah for thousands of years, they were not prepared for their Messiah to look like this. Right. This was not at all what they expected. But if they would have, uh, you know, read the, they were, they had, they were pride of themselves and being so knowledgeable of of the scriptures. Well, but if they would have looked a little deeper, well, they would have seen that this was, the way it was going to go, but well, they, the, they could not. They could not see that. Well, the expectations, you know, expectations of what you're looking for in your life, what you think it should look like, that can blind you to what happens. I mean, we have this horrible. It is what it is. It's always going to be that way. So what? Whatever. Nothing ever changes. And we kind of get locked in a rut of 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 waiting and unbelief and and dreary doubt. I think these people had sort of their life. This was not an easy day for people to be alive. The Roman soldiers were constantly there in the city, breathing down their neck, gathering people up, killing whoever was the whim of the pharaoh or the, the Caesar at the time to to kill. Exactly. It was exactly. a lot it's of anxiety. Really, because you're you're in an occupied territory. Your right. nation, your state, your city is occupied by a foreign government. Right, exactly. Well, that's exactly what they we were. we don't see that, don't think of that. Well, and they were considered uh, by Rome to be a nuisance. Um, mm-hmm. They were constantly, you know, rioting. And here's Jesus who's stirring up trouble, really. I mean, this is the trouble among his own people, which is creating riots, which would cause their, the, Rome to look at them, draw attention to them. And then they were in jeopardy of being, uh, you know, some Roman army descending upon them, which actually did happen. About uh, 40 years later, they were absolutely annihilated. And at that point in time, the Christians were, I think, pre-warned and fled Jerusalem. And they I, it doesn't record that the Christians were killed, but um, they had been warned. He well, said, Jesus, Jesus warned them, too. Yes, he did. That, that, that yeah. there's enemies were going to surround Jerusalem, destroy the temple. There's not going to be one stone left yep. upon another. And the reason for because that. Because they did not know the time of their visitation. Yes, and you know, it's they interesting. They rejected the Messiah. At the the temple was destroyed 40 years later. See, yeah, 70 AD. And you know what Senate. happened was the, the the walls of the temple, the inner walls were covered with gold. And that's why the soldiers wanted the gold. So they took one stone off of another to get every little, you know, nugget of gold. And when the temple was destroyed, all the records were destroyed. So that was the end of the genealogy. So there was no more additions. Jesus Christ, his uh, his lineage was preserved as we see it through the Gospels. Um, and that was there was no more need for records because the, the fulfillment of the promises to King David and your seed and on the throne and well, all that had been uh, verified and documented through the genealogies that are recorded in Luke and Matthew so that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of David, actually, uh, from both sides, his mother's and even his foster father, so to speak, and the fact that he's the son of God. But going back to the thief, the thief at some point then, must have had the revelation that this was truly the Son of God. And he made a profound request. I mean, you'd say, how could he be so presumptuous? How could he be so, obser- uh, what's the word, um, you know, bold, I guess, mm-hmm. to say, uh, what did he say? Lord, remember me he said, when you come into your kingdom? He said, yeah, verse Luke twenty three forty two. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you came into your kingdom. When so you he come was first. Into your kingdom. Yeah, when you come into your kingdom. 
So what happened? What happened that they were initially joining the crowd in the blasphemy and the mocking and so forth, but then there was a change of heart in the one thief at least. Well, okay. he realized something, didn't he? In that, in those words, he must have realized Jesus had a kingdom. Right, and he did realize that there was. Do you not fear God? So there, somehow, there was a fear of God that came upon him, and which, which is basically almost non-existent today, as mm-hmm. far as people having a fear of God. Well, uh, he, he, he must have. Got, this just, he must have heard them reviling him. You say you're a king. You say you're the son of God. Come down off the cross if you are a king. And I think that was another um, issue subject that was floating around in the in the crowd because Pilate actually wrote that. Um, inscription over the cross, uh, the king of the Jews. He didn't say who he said he's the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. And so that idea, subject of is he a king or not, and I think the the, the thief must have caught those words, uh, the dispute about his kingdom, being a king, his kingship, and he said, um, he uh, so he rebuked, actually. Can you imagine talking on the cross with your, dying with nails in your hands and whatever? Um, he says he rebuked his uh, partner in crime. Well, right before that, the, the other criminal had said, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." So he was putting it to Jesus not as a to serious request, but as an almost an insult or a dare. Well, that's what the crowd was saying too. Right. So he was just chiming in with the crowd, it's and, a, and it was it was a mocking. It was not a heart of a, a repentance. repentance. Right. It was it was just a, a mocking and a hardening. So then, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, "Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation?" So this man began to operate under the fear of God and the the, the um, condemnation. Uh, the I guess it's the fear of the Lord. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. So he had he had decided, settled in his mind, this man was innocent. That he. Um, and he and then in his next phrase he says and he said to him, to Jesus Lord so he's now calling him Lord submitting surrendering to him as Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom so he's also now resolved the issue of king kingship and kingdom and um, worship so in that in those three or four statements he has made he's moved from heckling to deciding the guy Jesus is innocent that he himself is worthy of uh, sin. He has sinned. Jesus, the, the thief acknowledges his own sin. Then he goes on to say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this is an amazing request because this is all of our requests, isn't it? The right. final. Right. It is because, see, he, this is what I would call courageous faith. Right. I mean, in the midst Instant of everybody courageous. coming against Jesus. Yeah. I mean, almost everybody that was there, we'll talk you know, later about those that were there supporting him. Mm-hmm. But the the mass of people were criticizing him, attacking him, undermining him. He does not look at all like a king. He's right. dying You're as not a going by appearance. on a cross. Right. And and so it was courageous faith that despite the mocking of the crowd, mm-hmm. despite what it looked like with yep. Jesus hanging there all right. bloody and in right. torment, he believed. He repented. Mm-hmm. He believed. And how courageous that is, because you know if your your hero. Your hero looks like a fool, and you're still going to take his side. This is courageous faith, because that's what was happening. The hero, our hero, Jesus Christ, at that moment looked like a failure. He looked like a a dog on the you know just there was nothing, no desire, no power. He had surrendered completely. The devil was having his heyday, and Jesus said to him, "This is the words of Jesus answering, replying to the the thief. He said, "Assuredly or truly." I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not not after you go into the grave or into the, you know, into the, I don't know what they buried them in trenches or whatever they did. So so this this man, the same day, this, this repentant thief goes from dying, mm-hmm. from be, living, you know, a life of maybe, you know, whatever his Pain, background was. torment, crime, fear, sadness. Trouble. Sadness, rejection, rejection, alienation, dying on the cross, mm-hmm. hopeless. With no to, life. To, but the same day, he he's going to be with Jesus in paradise. Mm-hmm. And we we, we learn later that Jesus died way before this thief died. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So Jesus had died, and he was he was there to welcome him into paradise. Well, you know, and a lot of times people have these near-death experiences, or they actually do die and then come back to life. And they always describe, uh, often, very very frequently, they describe what they experience as a, a, a paradise kind of thing. Um, I know in that movie that's out right now, if you haven't seen it, you really want to, if you can. It's called Miracles from Heaven. It's very, very encouraging. Oh, excellent. And, um, the, but, you know, even, um, so the paradise, we think of paradise as the, the Eden, the lost Eden, the, the the Garden of Eden, if you will, paradise. Um, that was kind of a, a term used for the the first home that Adam and Eve lived in. And I believe this is also a waiting place or a, a holding place. And I think maybe, uh, you know, people when they don't know what happens, you know, do we go into the ground? Children ask, "Where's where's my loved one? Where's my mom, my dad, my grandma?" It's it's really encouraging for them to know that it's their body goes into the ground, but that's not who we are. That was just our temporary house. And now we have a new house, a new body, and we're with Jesus forever in heaven. So it's not like we are aware of being in the ground or we're aware of coffin or something. It's like we are with Christ. We are alive. We are well. We are uh, able to converse. We're able to conduct uh, relationships uh, pick flowers, whatever it is, you know, in this garden of paradise, I would say. And so it's not something to be afraid of. And and yet so many people have been built, their mindsets, their programming has led them, the body of death operating systems have led, led them to believe in such nothingness at the end that it's it's terrifying because there is, the problem is there isn't nothing. There is something forever. It's either, either heaven or hell. There's two options and they are eternal. To go from dying as a criminal on a cross to paradise in the same day, uh-huh. it was it was it was faith in Only Jesus. God. Remember me, and so simple it was request. Not, so he amazing answer. You know, he was not uh, he was not going to purgatory. Oh yeah, right. He, he was he was not uh, the, he was not baptized. He didn't have any last rites. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any holy communion. He didn't have any help from Mary. No sacraments. No sacraments, and he was there. And a lot of people, I think this is some people look at the thief on the cross and say, hey, well, listen, I'm just going to go ahead and live my life the way I want to. And then maybe at the last day when my life is shot, when I've mm-hmm. spent all just living for myself, robbing God of his glory and his honor and, and robbing other people because I failed to serve the Lord, I'm just going to give my life to the Lord. You know, I'll party it up. Have fun, do my do my own thing, and then at the last minute, mm-hmm. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. So it's kind of like uh, you know you eating the apple work. and then giving God the core. But the thing is, you might you don't know when your day of death is going to be. Right, yeah. You don't know if your if your heart is going to be hardened at that point where you. The Bible says, "Seek the Lord while He may be found, uh-huh. and call upon Him while He is near." So just and just Today because some day, people yeah. realize that they're dying does not necessarily mean they're going to their hearts are going to be tender and they're going to want to Well obviously to according to the many um last words dying words of famous people you've said there's a lot of them that didn't get that that revelation and that softening of the heart but let's move on to the next um sayings we want to cover today um and the, these are the ones that have to do with Jesus's relationship with his mother and with John his disciple um, in John chapter 19, he's on the cross. He says, um, uh, therefore, we'll read with verse 25. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And we'll get back to that in just a second. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now, these are very simple. Behold your son. Behold your mother. And in those um, four or five, six, seven words, there is tons of assignment. There's tons of, mm-hmm. of um, uh, desires, uh, wishes. Um, take care of my mother, John. Um, and, and so John immediately did that. But let's look at these women and who they are at the cross, because it can be a little bit confusing, because there are actually four women there, and three of them have the first name of Mary. Right, and then there are other women 
that follow Jesus and minister to Jesus that are that are standing out there mm-hmm. at a distance. Mm-hmm. But let's but just then, look then at these. These are mentioned by name. So go so ahead. So we have John here, the who is the witness, the eyewitness at, at the cross, and he's saying this is his writing that there were his mother, I mean the mother of Jesus. I'm saying um, his mother's sister. Now his mother's sister's name was Salome or Salome. So that was G, that was Mary's biological sister. Then there was Mary, the, the wife of Cleophas. Now Cleophas uh, was the brother of Joseph. So basically, Mary, the mother, mother, wife of Cleophas, would be Mary the Virgin, her sister-in-law. And so we have these three women at the cross, plus Mary Magdalene, who we all pretty much know. So let's look at these people for a minute. Salo- Salome, she was the sister of Mary. She was also the wife of Zebedee. And we know Zebedee had two sons named James and John. And of course, Salome was their mother. So Mary's sister, Salome, had two boys named James and John who happened to be apostles. And they were known as uh, Jesus called them the sons of thunder at one point. That's right. So John, so I'm sorry, so John and James, their dad, Zebedee, was their their father and also basically the uncle or the brother-in-law of of Mary and uh an uncle to Jesus. So it's kind of crazy, isn't it? But going on, so that now we then we have the second Mary, uh Mary of the the wife of Cleophas, who was also the mother of James and Joseph. Now this is not the same James. So there's a lot of boys with the same name over here. So we have James and Joseph and as we understand going further that the um the sons of Cleophas, Cleophas, by the way, was also called Alphaeus. That was his other last name, so to speak. And we know the disciples, some of them had the name Alphaeus. Mm-hmm. So um, his, Cleophas was the, um, the brother of Joseph. His, his wife's name was Mary. So Mary had a sister-in-law named Mary. She had a sister named Salome and a sister-in-law named Mary. And Mary and Cleophas, Cleophas being Joseph's brother, Mary and Cleophas, had three boys named James Judas, who also was named Labius or Thaddeus, and Simon Zelotes. So these three boys were their sons. They were also the cousins of Jesus on the father's side. Mm-hmm. So we have technically five of the 12 apostles were direct first cousins of Jesus. Right. And then there was uh, actually Mary, the mother of Jesus, mm-hmm. had two sons named Joseph. And Judas. Yeah, there was the another same set of, as the other. But Mary. those are not part of the apostle group. So no. he didn't pick his half brothers. The same names. Right. Yeah. He did. Yeah. So if that makes any sense to you, so we have a lot of relatives standing by the cross, and it's not it's noteworthy that. So so John is is the nephew, is the cousin is is like a well, half Jesus cousin. cousin. Jesus' cousin and, and nephew to Mary. Nephew to Mary, okay. Right. So so when Jesus is talking to his nephew John, I mean his cousin John, his cousin John was probably a little bit younger than him. It just seems like when we get the stories, he's the younger, he's mm-hmm. young. But it's also interesting that part of John's story here, he's missing a lot of the, you know, um, therefore the soldiers did these things. Now, he, he kind of, he saw some of the crucifixion, then he probably uh, ran to get Mary and brought her to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, they moved up closer. Um, somehow the soldiers must have permitted them to come up closer, which was a kind of a nice, I suppose, kindness. And within earshot of what Jesus was saying, because Jesus couldn't move. So they had to come to him. And so when he looked down, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. So he was giving John, his cousin, now the the, the uh authority, the responsibility, the, the job is to, to take care of right. his mother. So obviously, Joseph, her husband, was no longer alive. Yeah, he, he, and then Jesus, see, he was the eldest son of uh, a, a single-parent mom. Right. So so because Joseph apparently had, had, had passed away right. a long time ago. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, John was right there. The Apostle John was right there with Mary at the cross. Now, what had mm-hmm. happened to the mm-hmm. other 12? Well, he uh, was the only one that stu- stood by the, the whole, only went one through that the whole stood thing. by because one of the this, uh, the apostles, Judas, had betrayed Jesus. He was already dead. He'd committed suicide at the, mm-hmm. by, by this time. Peter had taken off. Peter had denied Jesus, and, and he was gone. And then the other disciples, including John, 
had forsaken Jesus and, and fled, fled. Mm-hmm. at the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane when the when the soldiers came to take Jesus away. But somehow, John was the only one that came back. John actually got into the inner circle where they were holding Jesus and Peter. Remember, he was known by the priest, the high right. priest. Right. So he made, maybe was some favor or relative or something. I don't know. But anyway, he got in there, and so did Peter. Peter got into that inner circle where they were waiting that night for the morning to come or to go to Caiaphas or whatever they were doing. And um, that... that um, that was the end of, uh, but then John got in there and he watched from that point on. He followed Jesus um, through to the crucifixion, and so um, there was there was a lot of uh, uh, confusion, I think, around what was really going on. But at this point, it was very clear, and there it was very clear, and and uh, John knew his job from that point on. Well, see, John was part of the innocent, the inner circle of, of Jesus with Peter, James, and John, and and so now it, it's interesting too that um, you know Jesus, what did he do? He reached out to the multitudes, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of people, feeding of the five thousand, feeding of the four thousand. He yeah. reached out to individuals and so forth. And then he had the twelve disciples, he had the twelve apostles. Then he had 70 that he sent out to minister, but then he focused mostly on Peter, James, and John. Right. Not that they were his favorites. It wasn't a matter of favoritism, but it's a matter of focus because he was investing his life in these in these guys. Mm-hmm. And so John uh, was at the place where he was... <laughs> remember when they he came to one place where uh, they didn't receive Jesus. It was the Samaritans. And yeah. the Samaritans. Samaritans, sorry. Samaria, and, yeah, the Samaritans. And, and they didn't welcome Jesus. They didn't receive his message. And so what did James and John say? Hey, Lord, let's uh, call down fire on them like Elijah did. <laughs> and, and Jesus said, you don't know what uh, of what spirit you are. And, and the enemies were speaking through you. They were they were like vindictive um yeah. And he nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. And one old guy, I think, uh, one preacher from years ago, C.M. Ward, I think, said that these were the James and John were two guys that would like to lay rubber at every intersection in Galilee. Well, they I were, think they, they were, were young. A little bit. They were young. They mm-hmm. were kind of maybe kind of obviously impetuous. Mm-hmm. But some things had well, really changed in John's heart over the years. Can you imagine from going from that, you know, wanting to call down fire on those who resisted Jesus to this point in the crucifixion, where everybody is wanting to crucify him, or not everybody, but that's the the serious spirit that's there of resistance and death and murder, and uh, and John is not at all trying to defend Jesus in terms of let's get a sword, let's, you know, raise up a revolution. You know, he wasn't trying to gather any uh, resistance against what was going on. He simply was very, very surrendered and committed and tender and attentive to Jesus at that moment. It was like really the true love was keeping him from going crazy. You know, the love of God, the the um, peace of God was keeping him in that moment. And he said, when Jesus said, woman, behold your son, um, he was saying, I can't take care of you in the earthly, physical way anymore. But, but Mary did at that, and after that point, she hung out with the uh, the apostles. She was like one of them. She was in the upper room, um, and I'm sure that she was very um, well protected by all of Jesus' followers. I mean, she was probably um, more, uh, I don't know what the word would be, more precious to them than any other member. And so, I mean, her welfare was overly protected. If anybody, if anything was going down, they had their their exit routes for Mary to get away. Right. <laughs> she was not, she was not, I don't believe she was ever martyred that we know of. I mean, we don't no, know. No. She didn't ascend immaculately she, she into heaven. Right, right. And but, I'm sure there were many women that were ministering to Jesus uh, during his her earthly ministry, and I'm sure you know she was uh, among them many times, and I'm sure they were. Well, I think they were the ones that had to pack the lunches and cook the food and 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 clean the you know make the beds for them if they had beds or uh, sleeping bags or whatever they did. I mean, and the women also brought money. They were much more attentive to the 
personal needs of Jesus. The, the women, the, yeah, Isn't that the, amazing? Wi- the women were here at at the cross. So where were the men? It's That's interesting. True. interesting. Uh, William Booth, uh, General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, said that the best women, the best men in my army are women. Are the women? Yeah, and yeah. it's like okay. A lot of times, it's like and sometimes I've looked around the Church of Jesus. Mm-hmm. over the years and say, okay, where are the men? Yeah. And what are they doing? But it's interesting, too. Well, they did come back, and it was... It well, was... yes, they did. They they turned out okay mm-hmm. uh, later on. But it's interesting. Let, let's look a little bit at the heart of Mary here, because okay. um, years ago before this, when they had... Joseph and Mary had brought Jesus into the temple. To yeah, probably about him. 33 years before yeah. that. They there was a guy there named Simeon. He saw them. He said uh, he had, God had revealed to him that he wasn't going to die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he recognized that this baby was the Savior, the Messiah. And Luke two thirty four it says, "Then Simeon blessed them." Uh, that would be Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. And boy, did he have it. Was he spoken against? <laughs> it was a sign. And he says, yeah, in verse 35 of Luke 2, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So when when you say yes to God, you, you never know exactly what's going to uh, come of it, yeah. Come of it, you know. When when Mary said, think of it this way, uh, Marjorie. When she when Mary said yes to the Lord, she did not realize that she was going to become scandalized as a young woman, mm-hmm. becoming pregnant before she was married. That she would give birth in a stable. That her son's birth would result in the massacre of babies in and around Bethlehem. Yeah. Wow. And that her husband and, and, and young child, her husband Joseph, a young child, would be refugees in Egypt, refugees yeah. for a time. And that during her son's ministry, he would be loved by some, but despised, threatened, and rejected by most. Chased. And so pounded. you think of all that she had gone through, and now this was the, the sword that was piercing her heart. This Mm -hmm. was kind of like the final blow for her of that sort. But just think about this for a minute. She was an ordinary person that God had chosen to be, if she was willing, to be the mother, the carrier of his son. And, you know, that is a high privilege and that is a very unique calling. But at the same time, you can see how God did not give his little family Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the the boys, the children that followed, he did not give them any perks or special benefits. They didn't, they weren't loved, they weren't esteemed, they weren't given, you know, I mean, they they were not, they took their hard knocks. They were not like the rest of us. Insulated from. God did not give any special favors to Jesus, really, I mean, because he didn't want the enemy to, to holler. Uh, foul play you over you've over you've given him you've favored him and so i think in our own walk with christ we cannot look at how well things are going to determine whether or not god loves us or knows us or remembers us or, or answers or our how, prayers or, or, or how we're doing right how how was jesus doing that day well he was doing just great he was and, yeah. perfect in the father's will but he did say some things, you know, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think in his, in he, he was said he earlier, he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how, how distressed I am until it be accomplished. You know, there, he, I'm sure he, you know, if you anticipate a major surgery where you could die or something that's on the horizon, that's very, a court case where you, you know, you don't know an outcome and you're just kind of anticipating it and trepidating it and over it or tribulating over or whatever, you can kind of get a little sense of how Jesus knew, absolutely knew, that this was coming, this crucifixion was coming, and how he conducted himself, and Mary as well. I'm sure that she had heard what Jesus had said, you know, I've got to go to the cross. She probably didn't understand what that meant either, but it's hard. It's not easy to follow Jesus, like you said. Well, you think of just as a mother, okay, you know, and a lot of times, if you're 
if you're a, a, a true mother, you if you see your child hurting, you'd rather it rather you'd rather have it be you, right? Than than your child and give your life for your child. You know, That's I mean, pretty common. I she think she sees the her son. I mean that you know little hands that she held when he was learning to walk, and now his, you know he's and then you know he she watched him grow to be a man. She'd cradled him. She'd held him, and she sees the nails. In his hands and his feet, his side pierced, the crowns, the thorns right. on his head. So much and injustice. She, and she can't, she can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. She can't. You know, when somebody speaks against your kids, if you're a parent, yeah. and somebody is vicious and bullying your kid at, at, at school or whatever, you 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 don't you don't want to put up with that. Mm-hmm. You want to take you want to take some action, and put a stop to that. You don't want to see Do your, something. Kid, yeah. your, your your child hurt. But you know this this is <laughs> all of that to the nth degree, right here. Right, and she couldn't do anything. She couldn't do anything except stand there. Yeah, that's got to be the grace of God, the strength of God, to be able to stand and having done all to stand, and when the principalities and powers and 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 are hater the haters are howling around your head and and mocking you with their hideous laughter and using people to stir up riots against your son. And at that point, I don't even know if she cared about her own life. I don't, I don't know if they knew. I I don't think they thought, am I going to get, you know, are they going to arrest me next? I I don't, they obviously hadn't even considered that because John went, took her home and then came back. And and the um, the women, the other women moved back from the cross. So he, he came and he was there to the very end. Um, I'm not sure if Mary was. I think he took her out of the out of there. Um, well, she was. She was not ashamed. John was not ashamed. These women were not ashamed to identify with Jesus. Well, I think. Do you think Jesus would have been saying to John, "Hey, get her out of here"? <laughs> you know, just get her out of here. It, he, she doesn't have he, to be here. He didn't say that. No, he didn't say that. But you suppose that that's kind of what he wanted when John immediately after he said, "Behold, your mother." He took her to his home at that very hour, it yeah. said. So if he took her that very hour, that's not two hours later. It's not the end of the crucifixion. It's now. So he, he left, took her away from there. That was enough for her to see. Uh, I think Jesus said, basically, get her out of here. Um, she doesn't need to go through this anymore. And I'm sure she kept going through it but in her mind. But actually, if she was um, out of the the bitter uh, you know, we think we have it hard sometimes. We think, oh, life is so not fair, and I'm poor me, and where's God, and I don't get it, and if God is so good. And we have all of these things that race through our minds. I'm not sure if she didn't also have some of these things racing through her mind, but where's God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm sure that she could have thought and probably said that very exact same thing, you know, either at the cross or when she got back to the house. Um, what happened here, God? This was this your plan, and maybe she knew it was the plan. Maybe she—we don't know what God said to her uh, to comfort her to get her through this. But I'm sure He had um, a special grace that He had given her. There was—I mean, even though she knew so much, she did. Uh, she did not fully comprehend what was happening here. No. Nobody did. No, no. Nobody knew where this was going to go no, from this nobody, point. Nobody really knew. Even Remember the, they, the twelve. James, they were scattered. Peter, they were James gone. John, even the inner circle, they did not. They did not know till later on. You know, really, you, you see, after the day of Pentecost, Peter on the day of Pentecost explained it when the Spirit of God came. Yeah. Then there was the explanation. Then there was the, the more of a complete picture. Right. This is this. They're just seeing part of it here. Yes, a very vital, important yeah. part of it, but it did not come together the full for them picture, in their yeah. thinking till till later on. So they were, you know, if you want the end in the middle, it's the middle is hard, and so like they were not understanding, and you know, and Peter did get a bigger picture after the resurrection, oh, yeah. and people had gotten back together, and he'd been reconciled to the Lord, and now we see a new chapter, the the beginning of the book of Acts. Right. It's well it's like watching a movie or reading a story. Mm-hmm. Uh it's like sometimes you know, you get in the middle of a movie you just wonder, you know How is this gonna resolve? Which way is this gonna go? Mm-hmm. How is this gonna end? Well we we know only from the overall picture that Jesus had left that he would 
die, that he'd be resurrected the third day. But even at that point when that happened, they still did not believe it because you have to realize this had never happened before. Nothing like this. There was nothing in their experiences, nothing in the textbooks, nothing, no past events uh, that the world had ever witnessed where there was anything like this to compare it to, to know what would come, what would to be expect, what was to be expected. And so now they had a huge job. They had the bigger, bigger job than before. Jesus, miracles, healing people, raising uh, Lazarus from the dead, um, giving the blind their, their sight, whatnot. That was, you know, that was pretty big. But the world could handle that. I mean, yeah, okay, miracles. We believe there are miracles. Miracles can happen. Even possibly raising someone from the dead. Maybe he wasn't really dead. They've got their own. But this new message that this Jesus who you crucified is now alive. Lord and Christ. Like Lord Peter and Christ, preached. God's son, walking around. And now we saw it. We can't deny what we saw. We touched. We handled. We felt. We talked to him. We had conversations. We had lunch with them, breakfast, whatever. We know he is real. They, their minds had no way. Their physical, tangible minds. You know, when we use your mind to try to figure out something deep and spiritual, it doesn't really work because all you come up with is, I don't know. But in their spirit, they knew that this was true. And that's where God asks us to walk, is in the spirit. Because in your mind, your emotions, you're, you're not going to be able to comprehend it, figure it out. Because your mind says, I, I've never seen anything like this. I don't have any information to give you on how this is going to go, how this worked. How do people walk through walls? And even, I was reading this morning, even when Jesus came to them walking on the water, he walked on that water before he had his glorified body. So that was another miracle. How how did he multiply five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets of fragments left over when that was more than what he started with? Plus, he fed all these people in between. How, how do you walk on the water? You know, when Jesus was glorified, he walked through the wall, and that makes sense to me. But how did he do that with a body that was not yet glorified? And then when he ate with them after he rose from the dead, he says, well, you guys, I know you're a little skeptical here. Does anybody got something to eat? They said, well, yeah, we got a few pieces of fish and probably leftover from last night, whatever, and and some bread, probably crusts of something. Who knows? I doubt if there's much food laying around. But Jesus ate it, and it did not fall through his glorified body, yet his glorified body could go through a solid wall. So the solid food did not fall through his glorified body, but he went through a solid wall with his glorified body. So this does not make sense to my mind. Right, right. And our minds cannot make sense of this. That's why this is about walking in the Spirit, about receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ in your spirit and not with your intellect. And a lot of people are hung up because they have a pretty good intellect, but their intellect is failing them at this point. Yeah, and we try to figure things out right. rather than just go with revelation. The theologians call all this progressive revelation. So it's like uh, Genesis 3.15, and says, I, uh, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. This is what he's saying to the serpent. So what's what's happening? The seed, Jesus, is bruising the head of the serpent, and all the all the way through the uh, the the Pentateuch, the you know uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through there, all the way through the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the coming of Jesus. All this is being unfolded. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and if you you know there was a piece here that Isaiah got, there was a piece here that Jeremiah got, yes. there was a piece here that the psalmist got. Mm-hmm. So it's just all we right now we have the most full Measure. revelation mm-hmm. of of the purpose and plan of God that, that there's ever been in in, in right. history. Right, it's that in the fullness of time that right. Jesus came, and it's even in the to the minute. Moment like the he this paralleled the Passover. This was the he was the Passover lamb. He was the lamb of God. He was the final lamb, and so that's why they didn't need a temple anymore because the lamb of God completed what was needed to be finished, and so the blood was shed. And we have talked about that from time to time. But even even the the events that the uh, critical timing of the it, it didn't happen in the fall. It didn't happen in the summer. It happened right at you know. The uh, the pa- the Passover and it's interesting. Most of the time, 
And by the way, just just an FYI for those of you, the uh, the this weekend we celebrate. Well, some celebrate what they call Easter, and Easter is uh, a pagan um, word. Actually, Easter means um, uh, it's another name for the Egyptian goddess Isis or Ashtar. 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 And um, and then and so and but the actual Passover this year is a month later than the this coming weekend. So it's in April. It's April. I don't know. I'm not sure the actual date, so I won't tell you. But it's it's about a month from now. And so we're um, and there's an adjustment there because of lunar, solar calendars, and blah blah blah, whatever. But it's interesting that for every true thing that God has, the devil comes up with a counterfeit. So he's made the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be about fertility and Easter bunnies and um, chocolate rabbits and baby, um, chicks. baby chicks and eggs and things like that. But that's really not at all what it's about. It's about death and resurrection. It's not about more life. It's not about fertility. It's about not. It's not about spring. It happened in the spring, so to speak, but it's about a new life in Christ, a, a life in the spirit, a life. And for now, people, I, there's getting to be less and less for your children and grandchildren and whatnot, less and less of a comprehension of the true things of God. They're being shuffed and stuffed and, and hidden and removed, and they're being filled, their heads are being filled with all this foolishness that does not give them any information wherewith to make any kind of a intellectual or spiritual decision on who is Jesus, who is the Son of God, because this information is being so systematically stripped from our our minds, from our worldview. And so we just encourage you to make this about the resurrection, resurrection day, not about Easter. I just don't even like to call it Easter anymore because it's not even, I mean, people, you know, it's just, seems like sacrilegious to me to call it that, but you'll have to make your own decisions on that. Uh, resurrection, The this is the beginning, but we are now, interesting enough, not at the beginning, we're at the end. We're coming to the very end, uh, where Jesus Christ is coming a second time, and this time with fire in his eyes on a white horse, and to do business with his enemy. And believe you me, the enemies are amassing speedily with technology, the counterfeiting, the amassing of weapons and, and uh, the, the, their armies against the Most High God. And so with that, we must know that Jesus Christ is the only one who can protect his people and keep us to the end. He said, I will never leave you or never leave you orphans, never forsake you. I'm with you to the end. So, And around the cross that day, there's a whole kind of picture of all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to ask, you know, someone that, listening today that where would you include yourself that day? Where would you have been that day? And so you've got the the mockers. The hecklers. The hecklers, mm-hmm. the mockers, the crowds that mock Jesus, even the religious leaders that say, oh, he's not the son of God. He's not the right one. Uh, we got the answer. There are people that have followed Jesus and they have run away in fear. Um you know, and they had overcome today, guilt and condemnation. Same, what's mm-hmm. there is here today. Um, there was one that, that that don't want to identify with Jesus because oh, it's guilt by association, because it's not popular, it's not politically correct to be identified with Jesus or use mm-hmm. the Jesus word, uh, the name that's above every name. Uh, there are those that are condemned. You know, that mm-hmm. just really have no chance right now. And there are those that in that situation harden themselves, and then there yeah. are those that take their chances are are are, are, are tenderized like this yeah, thief and they take on the their cross. Chance. They take their last chance, and they use it for uh, to call out. And then there is a bunch of drunken soldiers gambling at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are those that are wanting to be as close as they can be, like mm-hmm. um, Mary and Mary John. and John. So they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed or afraid. So where where do you include yourself? Where would you want to be? be? Where would you fit in that? Where would you have fit in that picture that day? That's good. And where would you fit right now? Where are you? And I just want to encourage you to come right now. Father, in Jesus' name, 
We thank you for the cross. Thank you now we know of the resurrection. And Lord God, in the midst of this world that we're living in, with all the opinions and attacks on Jesus, we say, Lord, uh, we want to stand with you. Mm-hmm. Amen. You Good said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we seek to save our lives, we'll lose it, lose our lives. If we say, uh, Keep it. You know, we'll keep it, Father. Yeah. yeah. So we keep it, Lord, So by we want to keep our lives. We, we don't want to keep our lives. We want to give our lives for you, for your glory, for your honor. Help us in this season each day to do that. Mm-hmm. Father, amen. amen. Amen, and thank you so much for joining us. May you have a blessed um, resurrection, and may these things be encouraging to you. And uh, join us next week for Rescue Radio. God bless you. God bless you.